This is the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. During the fall of 2022, we're going to be looking at Amos, Jonah, Hosea, and Micah. And right now, we're looking at Hosea. Bob Bunn is with us again this week. Bob was with us last week. He's our resident expert on Hosea for this podcast for this quarter. So, Bob, thank you for being back with us this week as we continue the study of Hosea. Happy to be here, but let's be uh, let's be really flexible with that idea of being an expert. Okay. <laughs> what that means is you've prepared for today. Yes, yeah. that's the, yeah, I've studied this some, yeah. Oh, I understand. Uh, we're looking at Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through chapter 7, verse 2. The main point that we'll be examining in this study is that God despises false repentance, delighting instead in individual loyalty. The outline follows these three breaks. First of all, return, which is verses 1 through 3 of chapter 6. In these verses, we find that in response to God's judgment, Hosea called on the people to turn to God knowing he is the only source of healing. The people were challenged to press on to know God and experience his presence. We can understand in our lives that people can turn to God with genuine repentance. That's a continuing theme we'll see throughout our study, Hosea. The second point is loyalty, which looks at verses four through six of chapter six of Hosea. In these verses, Hosea echoed God's disdain for Israel's short-lived commitments and ritual practices. God sent prophets who pronounced God's judgment for the people's lack of loyalty. Main point for us is that believers are to loyally worship God with all their hearts. The last section, which goes from chapter 6, verse 7, to chapter 7, verse 2, we've entitled Judgment. And here, we're told that like Adam, the people had broken their covenant with God. Even their religious leaders were guilty. Hosea decried the sins of Israel and Judah, pointing to a coming judgment. He also pointed out that the people failed to realize that their sinful actions were seen by God. For us, we can understand that God is justified in exacting judgment for our sins. Bob, before we get into conversation, I would remind folks of, of pack item 13. It'd be a good way to introduce this lesson. The name of that pack item, and it's a handout, by the way, is unfaithfulness and restoration in Hosea. So it's a good way to introduce this lesson, but to carry out the theme of Hosea. We talked about that just briefly in our, in our past uh, podcast, where we looked at the idea that there's always this promise that God's people can come back and will be brought back to him. There's going to be judgment. There's going to be exile. But there's always this hope and promise in the background of repentance and turning back to God. And so we see that in this particular session. But this is about false repentance. Verses 1 through 3, before we get too far into this, there are two major ways to interpret verses 1 through 3. Some view it as false piety being expressed, while others view it as a call that goes unheeded. Uh, help us think through those two interpretations, and does it matter which one we select as the best or the right one? 
I think it matters to the extent that it kind of it kind of reveals something about whoever's speaking, because uh, you're talking about the two the two ideas that you outlined there really refer to two different speakers. One is if it is the false piety, then that's the Israelites just kind of playing up and 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 going through motions and and going through rituals and and trying to make themselves sound better than they actually were. If it's the other option, then it's God making that call for them to return. So there's a distinction between, okay, here's, here are these, this group of people. It says a lot about them and who they are to know that they're kind of faking it. And then if it's, if it's the other option, if it's God speaking, then it, it says a lot about who he is and his consistent call to bring people back, even when it goes unheeded sometimes, that he's still consi- still consistently asking them and begging them and urging them to return to him. But ultimately, both of those interpretations point to a central theme, and that is that these, this is a people that is just so stubborn, so rebellious, um, so stuck in their own ways that, that they think they're okay. They think they're. They think they've got it made. They they think that that these rituals and that these nice words and, and that all the the routines that they've been going through that that was going to be enough for them. That that was going to be enough to either either keep God off their backs if you want to think of it that way, or it was going to manipulate him somehow and force him to kind of accept them because they were doing exactly what the law said. Uh, the problem was they were doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, and I think that's a that's a key thing for us to remember today. You know, we talk about personal application. You know, we we often catch ourselves doing things just for the sake of doing them, or doing them because we think God will like us more. But the truth is that we can't manipulate God. We can't back Him into a corner. Um, we have to we have to get beyond that. We have to return to Him. Get past the lies. Get past the self deception. Get past all the things that. That, that that we think we understand and just repent and, and return to him. So it does it does make a difference to an extent, but ultimately it's all they both point to the same to the same end result. Verse two, we find an interesting statement here where it says, He will revive us after two days, and on the third day he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. Are there any other Old Testament affirmations that would point to two day or actually three days, a third day, he will raise us up. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, I think the only, the references in uh, Paul makes in, in first uh, Corinthians points back to this verse, but uh, are there other places in the Old Testament that could affirm this? Yeah. I, I think it's interesting to note, that this is a that while this is a prophecy, it's written, it's also written in a poetic form, and so Hebrew poetry is kind of interesting because it repeats itself. That's how it it doesn't rhyme necessarily. It just uh, it, one point will be made and then they'll be repeated a different way so that it, it it emphasizes what was said to begin with. And so the two day, three day, as as Hebrews would have or Jews would have read it at that time, Israelites would have read it at that time, they would have understood the poetry of it, but. I, this is really the only place in the Old Testament where it talks about three days and a resurrection. Um, it's the only place where it, makes that, where it takes those two ideas and molds them together. And of course, it, it, when Paul, you mentioned uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4, where Paul says is, you know, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, Paul's scriptures would have been the Old Testament. So 
in all likelihood, Paul was thinking about this passage from Hosea when he said, according to the scriptures, this was his, this was his validation. This was his, his passage that proved what, what he was going to say. But, uh, you know, this, again, this is one of those deals where there was a, you run into with, with, with Hebrew prophecy sometimes where there's a, a short-term immediate context, but then there's also a long-range context. And the immediate context would have been, you know, God has torn you down. God is going to heal you. God has, has beaten you up. He's, he's wounded you. He's going to bind those wounds. He's going to raise you up. In 514, he had said that they were going to be torn to pieces, kind of like a wild animal rips up somebody, attacks and rips somebody up and drags them into the woods. He said that was going to happen, but now he's talking about you raising it, raising it. So there's definitely an idea of resurrection there. Uh, in the immediate context, it would have been the rebuilding of the nation. But I think it's okay for us to, to, to view that through the lens of, of New Testament reality and say, okay, this, you know, this, is, this is pointing to another, someone else who's going to die and be raised on the third day. Of course, we know that to be Jesus. Pack Adam 12 in the leader pack lists passages from Amos, Jonah, Hosea, and Micah that are quoted in the New Testament. There are one, two, three, four. There are eight different passages in Hosea quoted in the New Testament. Uh, verse six of chapter six here is one of those passages. Uh, help us think through the, Jesus' use of that particular passage of Hosea six six. Yeah, both of the uh, references from Hosea come in the book of uh, come in the book of Matthew, which really shouldn't be surprising because if you know Matthew. You know that he was writing to a Jewish audience. Uh, he puts a lot of Old Testament into his his letters or his his gospel. Um, so that that really wouldn't be surprising. The actual context, both in, in both of those situations, Jesus is arguing with the religious leaders. Uh, again, not unusual. It, it happened a lot throughout the Gospels, but in the first instance, which is in uh, Matthew chapter nine. The religious leaders have come to Jesus is having a, a sort of a, a dinner, a get together, a party or whatever with some so-called sinners right after the call of Matthew uh, to be his disciple. And Matthew had brought some of his friends and they were fellowshipping together. And the, the Jewish leaders didn't appreciate that. They thought they thought it was wrong for a rabbi to be hanging out with so-called sinners. And so he, they asked the disciples, why is your master doing this? And Jesus said, hey, you know, the the sick don't need a doctor, or the, the well people don't need a doctor, it's the sick who need a doctor. And, he, and then he says, if you would understand what it means uh, to, to love me the way you're supposed to love me, if you would understand what Hosea was saying centuries ago, you wouldn't be asking these kind of silly questions. And then a few chapters later, in chapter 12, the disciples are hungry, they're eating, it's a, it's a Sabbath, uh, they picked some grain out of a field and they were eating it. And the religious leaders again came and said, hey, don't you know it's against the rules to, to pick grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, hey, if you understood, again, what Hosea was talking about, you would understand. And he actually says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And so I make the rules ultimately. And so his, in both contexts, Jesus is, is calling these religious leaders out for their hypocrisy, for their um, for the fact that they they looked, they tried to, their best to look like they were obeying the rules. They tried their best to, to, to put on a good face and to make sure everybody else followed the rules as well, but their heart was in the wrong place. And, and really when it comes to, 
to this kind of thing, that's that's where Jesus, that's where Hosea, and that's where Jesus also landed, was that the heart is the key to everything. There are two, uh, we, we think a lot about Hosea, we think about the adultery, we think about the, you know, Gomer uh, being unfaithful to him and him having to marry a, pro, a prostitute or, a, or an immoral woman or a prostitute or whatever she was. But really, there's two recurring themes that just pop up time and time and time again. One is God's faithful love, which we see in this passage. And the other is knowing God for who he really is, which is in this passage as well. Uh, and, and Jesus was pointing back to this, telling the religious leaders, you've got to get beyond where you are right now if you really want to know God. If you really want to experience his faithful love, if you really want to know him as he is, you're going to have to get beyond this kind of attitude that really hadn't progressed very far since the 8th century BC. They were still stuck in that old mindset. It might look a little different than it did back then, but at its heart, at its root, it was very same. Um, they, they were living hypocrisy. They were going through the motions. They were living on ritual and assuming that that was going to be enough. When you read this, you would almost walk away with the idea that sacrifices and rituals have no value whatsoever. Yeah, he wasn't saying that, obviously, but he's, he was basically saying, if you do it, you need to do it for the right reasons, and you need to do it with the right attitude. God's always said that all throughout, all throughout the scripture. He's always said, uh, you know, don't, don't, bring in, don't bring things to me that, that you're just doing out of habit. Uh, in Malachi, which is not one of the minor prophets we're going to study, but in Malachi, he says, I wish you'd just shut the doors of the temple <laughs> because your offerings are just, they stink. Yeah, they're making me sick in my stomach. Yeah, they made me sick in my stomach. There's just, there, there's nothing behind them except show. And, you know, so God, from, from the beginning, God's always said, hey, come to me with an open heart and with uh, the right attitude, and I'll accept you every time. But if you come to me with garbage, it's not going to work. Yeah, your, your point is well taken. It's not an anti-sacrifice and ritual here or practices. It's it's an anti-doing them for the wrong reason and doing them, um, like we said, to paint God into a corner. And we're guilty of that a lot today. We'll, we'll do that even without even realizing it, that, you know, how often do we just kind of go to church because that's what we always do instead of going to actually have an encounter with God. Uh, you, you may have people sitting in your Sunday, in your Bible studies, in your Sunday school classes, in your connect groups, whatever you happen to call them, and, and they're just doing it because they've been that's that's their habit. Um, it's a ritual to them, and so we've got to be careful that when we come, we come with an attitude that seeks God, that longs to connect with Him, and and not be so surprised when we actually experience Him because that's what it's supposed to be all about in the first place. In chapter seven, verse one, we find the names Israel. Ephraim and Samaria. What's the significance of Hosea identifying those three locations or groups of people? Well, in one sense, we mentioned this was a poetic passage. And so the repetition of maybe the same area using different names might be part of the poetic side of it. But there's also a couple of other possibilities and, and scholars are kind of divided. They, some believe one thing and some believe another. And one of those might be that, that, there's, that there's this bigger picture of a reunion, you know, because he says that Israel is going to be healed, but Ephraim and Samaria are going to be revealed. Their sin is going to be revealed. And so there's this idea that Israel, when, when God talks about Israel, he's talking about the entire nation 
Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom coming back together in one unified country again. There's going to be a healing there. But before that can happen, the sins of those nations have to be revealed. They have to be exposed. So that's one idea behind it. I've, I've also seen where, um, where scholars believe that maybe uh, Hosea was, uh, was showing the extent of Israel's sin by going from the broadest possible geography to the, to the most compact geography. Israel would have been the national image, uh, the entire nation of Israel. Um, so from, from, from north to south, east to west, your entire country is included. Then Ephraim was the most powerful tribe in the northern kingdom. And so it, it would have been a tribal level. So your most important tribe is also corrupt. And then you get to Samaria, which was not only the name of the country, but it was also the name of the capital city. And so if you look at it in that term, you've gone from country to tribe to city, from highest to lowest, from the, from the least to the greatest, from as far as you can imagine, you are completely corrupt. You're completely rebellious. You're completely living uh, apart from God, rejecting him. So uh, at, at every level, uh, you can, you're causing problems and, and you're living in sin. And so that, those are a couple of different ideas that, that have been floated about what, what, could have, what these three designations could mean. All of them point to the idea that the need for repentance, period. I mean, yes. these are not your, these are not the areas that you would think of as uh, feeling guilt-free. <laughs> no, no. And again, it's one of those things where we talked about it, that, that in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all the depravity and the downward spiral that they were experiencing, God still comes out and says, hey, I still want you with me. I still want to bring you back to me. Come on back and we can make this right. And that, that amazes me how it happens time and time again. Yeah, we, we didn't talk about this, but the idea of God wounding his people, there's purpose in that wounding. It's not just to wound them for mm -hmm. sake of punishment, but it's the, wound them, the, the wounding of them with the hope that, and with the point uh, the view of them repenting and turning to him, which tells us a lot about God's character, what he desires, what he hopes. Yeah, uh, I think that's going to be a great part of discussion in this particular session. Yeah. I'm looking through the questions right now that'll, that are a part of uh, this study that we find in the personal study guide and also in the daily discipleship guide. Just think about these questions. How does the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus demonstrate the depth of God's desire for people to turn to him in repentance? What are some of the factors that may cause a person to balk at turning to God in repentance? Why is loyalty valued by God more than religious ritual and practice? How is God's discipline and expression of his love? I love this question. Can love exist without discipline and explain? Uh, and then the last question uh, from the passages itself is, how does sin harm our relationship with God? And how does our sin harm our relationship and fellowship with others? You see that all happening here uh, in the background, and it helps us think through that not just for what it was going on in the life of Israel, but also what's going on in our life today and our need to trust Christ, to turn to him in repentance and the dangers of not doing so. Mm -hmm. uh, Bob, are there other key, other key thoughts or ideas you would share with our listeners today? Just to build on that last point you were making, there, there are certain characteristics and qualities of God that we really, we really embrace. Uh, we love to talk about his love. 
We love to talk about his mercy and his grace. We'll even we'll even talk about his holiness if it if it's not stepping on our own toes and, and we're not creating too much of an expectation. We'll still talk about the fact that God is really holy and really righteous. But there are other things that really just make us feel uncomfortable sometimes. And that idea of justice is one of those things. But the truth is, and going back to that last question you mentioned, God really can't be God unless he's just. You know, throughout the history of, of Israel. God's always said from the time of Abraham through the law, all, all the way through the Davidic kingdom, if you obey me, it's going to be okay. You're going to experience my blessings. If you disobey me, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. If for God to really be God, he's got to follow through on those promises, the good and the bad, uh, the, 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 the joyful and the painful. Um, otherwise he's not being God in any meaningful way. And so as uncomfortable as we are sometimes with the idea of God wounding us, uh, we need to understand that it's actually a part of his mercy and a part of his grace. Uh, his justice is tied to his grace. Uh, he never does it to be mean. He never does it just because he enjoys inflicting pain. He does it to draw us back to him. And so that's, that's something that maybe leaders can emphasize as they talk about it in their classes this week. Bob, thank you for sharing that with us. And thank you for listening to us today out there. If you have comments or questions, you're welcome to send us an email. You can send one to me at dwayne.mccrary at lifeway.com. That's D-W-A-Y-N-E dot M-C-C-R-A-R-Y at lifeway.com. I'll do my best to answer your question. If I don't know the answer, I'll put you in contact with the right person who can answer it. Join us next week. We'll be looking at session nine. We'll be continuing our study of Hosea. Bob will be joining us once again. We'll be looking at selected passage in Hosea chapter 10. And the main focus in that study is that God's judgment will be experienced by those who reject him. Mm-hmm.